0: Rabbi Dr. Shimon Russell is a psychotherapist and the former clinical director of Our Place, a drop-in center for struggling teens. He also founded and directed Tikva, a seminary serving the needs of struggling young women from Orthodox home. He is the main speaker and guide of Kesher Nafshi, an international organization supporting Orthodox parents of struggling children, and the chief consultant and supervisor of Fresh Start, an innovative trauma recovery center serving the unique needs of the Orthodox community. Rabbi Yossi Rosenboom, is a veteran educator and a global innovator in Jewish education. He's the creator of the Zeckelman Standards, benchmarks used to shape best practices in Judaic studies. He served as principal of the Yeshiva Boys School for over 25 years and has been head of the Yeshiva Schools for the past five years. He was also my principal growing up, and I didn't turn out half bad. A very special thank you and welcome to Rabbi Shimon Russell. The way I would introduce him is a rabbi... A therapist on a mission. Rabbi Russell represents the hundreds and thousands of teenagers with whom he's had countless conversations. And he represents them to Kal Yisrael. And we are listening. Thousands of us are listening carefully to what Rabbi Russell has to offer. A couple of points before we actually begin our conversation. Sure. First of all, the questions that were chosen for this evening. I came up with a couple of questions. I forwarded it to you. You, You're aware of some of the questions. And then the administration at Yeshiva Schools of Pittsburgh was involved with writing some of these questions. What we actually did was we played a recording of one of Rabbi Russell's presentations. We stopped at every 10 minutes, and then we reflected on what he had said and how we could implement those ideas hmm. in our school. Beautiful. And the, the administrators sitting there together last week formulated these questions, which we're going to present to you today. Because today's session is titled Two Halves of a Holy. There's the parents, the home and there's the school. And how do we take the truths, the fundamental ideas that you present so eloquently in all of your presentations and how do we actually implement it into a school setting? How do we bring the two halves of the whole of the holy to work cohesively for the well-being of our children? I also want to mention before we even begin that teaching Today, particularly post-COVID, it's heroic. Nothing less than heroic. And I want to begin by giving a shout-out to those who have Messias Nefesh and come to school every day in the most challenging times to work with our young, starting from the early learning center, from the preschool, all the way through high school. So let's begin. Okay. Rabbi Russell... On COL, Chabadon Live, um, actually one of the sponsors of tonight's event, there was an article, a very painful article, uh, titled, There's No Such Thing as a Trusted Adult. And in this article, a social worker talks about a conversation that she had with her nephew. Several days ago, I received a phone call from a close nephew of mine, who was a good bacher. I was surprised that he was calling. But when I heard the panicked fear in his voice, my social worker's antennas went up. And he shared what was going on in his yeshiva. Instinctively, I responded, have you spoken to the Anhala or a trusted adult? He laughed cynically. Aunt Rifki, there's no such thing as a trusted adult. Rip Shimon. Yeah. Two questions to begin our discussion tonight. Sure. Question number one is how do we become trusted adults to whom our Talmidim and Talmudas feel comfortable approaching with their questions and challenges? And question number two, it's a long one, but we'll get started. We'll dive right into it. Sure. Question number two. How do we get out of the cycle of blame and distrust between the parents and the school?
1: This is, if we can answer this, we fix the whole system.
0: If we can answer this question, we can go home. <laughs> Look, I,
1: I'd like also to make just a real brief academic. Absolutely. Um, I don't know what's going to happen tonight, but I imagine we're going to talk some truth. Otherwise, there's no point. And I want it to be clear. I, certain people sometimes misunderstand I look at the world of Chinuch and Mechanchim as the absolute top rung of Klal The people who are so moisenefish, who care so much and work so hard, generally speaking, not for the greatest pay. And they do this job for us, for Klal When I come to perhaps challenge or refine, I'm feeding back information I've learned from my clients for 32 years in the hope that we could refine what they're doing and help them simply do it better. We appreciate it. I really hope so, because it frees me to be more honest about what we see in the cracks in the system without being seen as a critic of the system. I love the system. I simply do this and put my neck in the noose to try and make it better. That's it. So I just want to be clear, and I hope that's understood by everybody. So the answer, let's take the first part of your question. Is there such a thing as a trusted adult? uh, And how do we make children feel safe? Is That was the question, correct? There's one word. If we could understand the two sides of this same word, perhaps we could fix this so simply. And the word is consequences. What are the consequences to a child when they go to an adult and they pour their heart out about some issues perhaps serious issues that they're struggling with due to no fault of their own they didn't grow up determined to be a troubled person but somehow their life and their story has somehow brought them in touch with who knows whether it's the internet whether it's drugs whether it's drinking or whether it's you know other issues they're struggling with doesn't really matter no one chose this and a kid is hurting inside so this word consequences captures the essence of why there are no trusted adults. Because, and by the way, I believe there are. Let's be very clear. I think that the premise isn't actually true. And there are many trusted adults and many trusted I think I, I think, the, but I understand the, understand the concept. If the consequences of a child opening up about their struggles their issues their challenges their exposure to the world if the consequences are negative if they're afraid they're going to be punished penalized if they if they're afraid they'll be thrown out of school if they're afraid that somehow this is going to damage their own life in any way why on earth would they tell us it's the word consequences But just imagine if we shift that word consequences, and we as the adult caring world who care for our children, if we shifted where the consequences were, wow, I can't believe you told me. That must have taken so much courage. I'm so impressed with you. That must be so hard for you. I can't imagine how difficult this struggle is for you, how conflicted you must be. I wonder how you get up in the morning sometimes. I'm so impressed with you that you had the courage to come and talk. And I'm telling you one thing, your information is safe with me. If we shift that word consequences for children, what's going to happen is we're going to discover that, uh, 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 and people hate it when I quote statistics or say numbers, where do I get it from? But I would hazard a guess that most kids will come forward and tell us. The majority of kids will come forth and tell us they're struggling with something. If the consequences to them of telling us is that they will be supported, praised, they'll be validated and understood, they'll be helped, we can hold them, we can help them through that, of course they'll tell us. The onus of, of kids, you know, there's no such thing as a trusted adult, is because if what we're trying to do always is the and you're gonna hear this from me the whole night, I'm certain of it, if the dogish is in the child's mind is primarily on me protecting my home, my life, my school, my environment, my my community, if my primary dogish is on protecting my stuff, why would they tell me? They'll never tell me. But if they feel an experience that the primary doggish, when I hear them, is, I want to help you, Sheffala. We're here for you. It's true, we also have these other agendas that we have to work out, but we're here for you. Once we shift the consequences of telling to being praised, applauded, elevated, looked at as a hero, looked at as special... Well, then there'll be trusted adults everywhere, and I believe we can help the kids. The trouble is going to be that we're going to discover that most kids will come forth and tell us about problems, and everyone's going to come running and say, Now, what do we do? How do we solve the problems? How do we solve the problems now? That's the next piece. That's the next piece, exactly.
0: (laughs) Once we have that information and that relationship.
1: Kids will open up once they feel safe. It's that simple.
0: We'll come back to this a little bit later. Yes, we'll we will. From another angle, I'm sure. Many. But moving to the, to the second question, yeah. and maybe I can just add that um, families and the school, you know, the natural tension, <laughs> unfortunate tension that exists, um, there are studies that show that positive connection between parents and teachers and school have been shown to improve children's academic achievements, social competencies, and emotional well-being. So that that gets to the heart of the question, how do we go about developing a trusting relationship between the parents and the school? So just like we want a trusted relationship between the child and his parents, the child and the the school, how do the schools and the parents and the families work together? Letojevas for the well-being of the child. Because as you said before, it's all about the children. It's really not, I mean... Of course. Of course, in other words, the the mission statement of yeshiva, it starts with the following line. We believe that every child is a gift from the ebishter.
1: Right. That's how it
0: starts. Right. A gift from the ebishter. Right. And all decisions that are made are made primarily for the well-being of the child. So how to parents? So I'll
1: tell you something amazing, fascinating. Years ago, obviously many years, I was in Lakewood before we made Aliyah, and, um, and I worked there as a family therapist and I frequently, frequently worked with family systems who were at odds with their school system and I heard from both sides and all I heard from both sides was incredible mistrust that the parents knew very well I cannot tell the school really what's going on because I know what's going to happen. And I know what the consequences will be to my family and my kid. They'll never understand us. The school was saying, we can't trust these parents. We have a handbook. We have rules. They're not adhering. You know, and, they, and I hear this from both sides. So I decided to do something very interesting. I requested from the parents and the school, that means the Manal, hellas, whoever it was, would you come in and sit with me together? I'd like you to hear each other's struggle. Would you do that? And they would come into the office, terrified of each other. You understand, it's like the two enemies have entered the ring. And we'd start talking. And the premise of the meeting was a very simple premise. I want to see if you could help the school, could help the parents understand where you're what your struggles are, what your concerns are. And I'd like to see if the parents can help the school understand your struggle. And what we're going to do is have the school tell the parents. We have the school tell the parents what they believe is the parents' struggle. And we're going to have the parents tell the school what is their mandate, what's their struggle, where are they stuck with this situation? And we'd have both sides try to see if they could articulate deeply, sensitively, what the other side is feeling. This event took a couple of hours. By the end of the hours, I I can tell you many times... Both sides were in tears. Both sides realized we're all trying to help the kids. We're we're all stuck. The fact and reality is that mature people come, have to come to terms with is that the needs of a system can never possibly, it's impossible to serve the needs perfectly of every individual in the system. It's the very nature of a system. The responsibility of parents, at the same time, is their kid, not the system. They will have that child the rest of their life. Their responsibility is to support their child. These two will always be two different approaches to how to child, help kids. What, what I've experienced in life is, if we sit down as mature, if we could just be mature adults, stop being threatened by each other, but sit down and tune into not, the school's not my enemy, they're my friend, but I want you to trust me, so I'm going to tell you the school as a parent, what I believe is your struggle, what, where are you stuck with this, and you're going to tell me as a parent where you see I'm stuck, and the magic starts happening once you do that, it's a paradigm shift, it gets people working together, tuning into each other, and now together we have to work out what is gonna happen? How are we gonna do it? Which we'll deal with the problem later. The first step is to tune in that we're all basically on the same page trying to help kids, but we have two different mandates, two different roles. The school has to and has a responsibility to protect the school environment. That's a fact. It shouldn't be taken away from them. The school isn't a sum of all the different parent body, you know, who's in there. They have a mandate, they have a philosophy, and, and they have to uphold that philosophy somehow. A parent has an ultimate responsibility to their child. And they must love that child and put that child first. And that's a delicate child, sometimes for their local rav. of What do I do when I get this whole handbook from the school with all these rules, which I know I cannot do? I know I cannot do it, it's impossible. Some of those things, I, I don't want to lie either. So that's a Shaila you got with your Rav. But the fact is, if we can just come in and tune into each other and say, I understand you, I get you, and go through that little exercise of tuning into each other, that's when the magic happens. It's remarkable.
0: I want to share something. As you were talking, I was thinking to myself of something that happened last week, talking about the school and the parents working together for the well-being of the children. The mayor of Pittsburgh visited our school last week, And in preparation for his visit, we cleaned the school well. Hopefully it's pretty clean in general, but we cleaned the school well. So I heard a a comment that someone made, one of the students made. Oh, the mayor's coming, so therefore they clean, uh, you know, criticizing it. So a lot of times a child comes home and they share something like that. And there's two ways that a parent can respond to that. One way is, yeah, it should always be clean, continue the narrative. A more helpful way, if we're working together for the well, well-being of the children, is to help the children understand, sure. gain a perspective. So I had that conversation with my children. I said, let me ask you a question. Is, our house is generally pretty clean, but if we have a hush of a guest, do we clean it better? Does that mean that you know we did something? No, that's what happens. So similar here. We try sure. to keep the building clean, but the mayor of Pittsburgh's coming. You know, so we need to listen. We don't have to uh, accept or support something that we don't think is appropriate, but at the same time, help the child understand, give them a perspective so that that trust remains. Down the Kafskos. Help them. And whatever sure. can't be defended doesn't need to be defended. Correct. But, but whatever can be, and that could be Meyer, but just an example. Do you have any responses that? I think we're almost finished with this first uh,
1: Yeah, no, I, think, I, I fully agree with you. Look, trust. If the first response when a child comes forward or is discovered with something inappropriate, whatever it is, if the first response, the look on my face, the, trust, the so-called trusted adult, is a look of pain, anger, frustration, that worked once upon a time. There was a world in which that was helpful this world, that's not helpful.
0: Uh, many questions have come in from parents. Okay. It's going to be impossible to get to them all. I'll try to put some of them together and uh, present them as they come in. Rabbi Russell, if you could help us understand or define resilience. What is resilience and what is not resilience? Um, there are people who feel triggered by the word resilience. There are individuals who feel that sometimes that can be misconstrued as, you know, let's say you're in a bad marriage or in a bad situation. Just have resilience, work your way through. So the first question is, what is resilience? And then in the spirit of tonight's event, two halves of a holy, what can schools do? What can our wellness division do to build or support the resilience of our Talmudim and talmidas.
1: Okay, so, loaded question. <laughs> well, it's, look. Let's, let's separate okay. quickly. There's, from my, from my perspective, the um, the psycho-emotional perspective on resilience simply means the ability to bounce back. That's it. In other words, we build in a child or a human being the wherewithal, the ability, that when you go through struggles and problems and issues, as everybody will, because there's no one free of it, we'll all go through our nisianus in life. As you go through, how deep you fall, or how shallow you fall, and how quickly you come back, is defined by whether you have strong resilience. The more resilience you have, the quicker you bounce back, and the, and the less is the dip that you fall when you go through your struggles and issues. Telling people have resilience who do not have resilience is actually kind of punitive. It's hurtful. You could encourage people to try and find a way through their struggles, but you cannot tell someone who doesn't have the tools of resilience that you should have had them, and now use things you don't have. You could help them develop those tools, that's for sure. But you can't tell someone who doesn't have it, you were meant to have it, now use it. So yes, if you say it's being used and people get triggered from it, that's probably why. Because if you were not fortunate enough to grow up with the foundations, the building blocks of resilience, then you're going to have a hard time being resilient. So so maybe I can talk just for a couple of minutes. What are those those building blocks of resilience, both at home and at school. Right, and, and would at that school. make sense? Both, yeah, that, that you would, said holy hennuch, right? right?
0: Holy hinuch, right. What holy parents hinuch. can do
1: so, and what the schools Everyone, can do. I think anyone who knows, you know, I often and frequently, in fact, probably every time I talk about parenting and struggling kids and, and how to build up, you know, and prevent the struggles of life, I refer to the four S's of resilience. I learned that from Dr. Dan Siegel in his book, You know, parents from the the inside out, you bought the book. (laughs) I think I've sold more books than anyone else. I have to speak to him one day. But he said it so beautifully, and I've used it and adapted it. I use it clinically. I use it with parents. I use it in speeches. I just think it's a fantastic model that I discovered everyone can relate to. And not only can we relate to it as a parent starting out in your journey. So if a parent is watching this with a two-year-old, start doing this. This is what you do, and you build resilience. But what's beautiful about the model is you could work it through later in life, rebuilding those four areas that you need in your life and working out how to strengthen them for yourself in your future life, in your relationships with your spouse, with your children, with your boss, with, you know, in life. Work out how to strengthen those. And these are the four. For those who don't know them, I'll say them because I love them and I'm passionate about it. The four S's for home, for bringing up kids. They are safe, secure, seen and soothed. Safe secure I mean, we have to, the first thing we have to do as parents is provide safety, and this would apply in school too. I mean I 'm not saying this model doesn't apply in school I 'm simply saying the primary model for this is at home with parents bringing up kids this way. Of course, schools should support this too. We have to make sure our kids are safe. they feel safe from abuse, they're not going to be physically, emotionally, psychologically, sexually, spiritually abused. We have to protect them, We have to know what that means to protect them from these things. We cannot be naive. We cannot be fools. We have to be honest about what happens to children in life, be mature and respectful that we have, we don't have full control over our kids' lives outside of the home and outside school as they get older. So we have to make sure that we provide safety. I could speak the entire night about it. I'm not. I, I'll st- I see the look. I'll stop there. Okay, got it. That's safety. Security. We have to provide a secure environment for our children where they feel secure about the love a husband and wife, their father and mother have for each other. We have to provide the security that they understand the Shabbos table, and the Yontif table is going to be a place of peace and comfort and joy and simcha, not a place to get ferred and prove that you're an idiot and didn't follow that week and don't know anything about You don't even know what the Pasha is, right? It has to be a place of security, you have to be secure about, you know, purchases. You'll have clothes, the appropriate clothes in season. If you go to a camp, the, there's not going to be a whole, you know, problem, of fuss about will we, won't we. That doesn't help children grow up resilient. You could say, well, we'll deal with it. We didn't make a decision yet, if you're not sure. But don't bring them into your struggles with life because it creates insecurity in children and that deprives them of the tools of resilience. We have to make them secure about life. That they know they're going to come home and be greeted in a home that's happy and happy to see them. And that, by the way, if they come home and they finally feel safe enough to come and say what, whatever's going on in their life, they're secure in the knowledge that their parents will respond in a loving and kind way and not be angry. That's security. Seen. Seen. Every child has a unique Purpose, mission, and personality. You know, when you mentioned before, chanoi Right? say Only his derech. That means everyone has a unique derech. Chinuch, actually, is about extracting the uniqueness of a child. People think chinuch, they make a mistake between chinuch and being a melamed. and A melamed is about installation. It's about putting information in in the mind of a child that they don't have. We're going to give them Yediyah where they didn't have it. Chinuch is about extraction. It's about showing a child who they are. What is their great potential? What did Hashem gift you with? We pull it out of them and we reflect it back to them and then we give them the support to be that person in life. That's called seen. If
0: I could just say one of the powerful things that you say in other sessions that I've heard is that children cannot just be tolerated? Oh,
1: well, I mean, it's, that, it's, that is
0: a, a fundamental absolutely. idea that keeps on well, going through my mind. How to continuously communicate to the children? Well, we have to we, can... we
1: have to spend the time and the effort to reflect upon the uniqueness of our children. Who is this child? It can't be we mechanech our kids or bring up our kids. It's the kids. Let's get this thing called the kids. Let's get the kids in the bath. Let's get the kids to bed. Let's get the kids in the car. It's always the kids, the kids, the kids. Everyone is unique. We lose the uniqueness. I I have many times suggested the Friday night, if you bench your kids, well, if you don't, you should, but if you didn't bench your kids, bench your kids and whisper into their ear afterwards something you noticed about them that week that was special, about them, some uniqueness. What it does is it forces us as parents to see our kids, because I know by Friday night I better notice something or whisper it in my child's ear and tell them something special and how much I love them for it. Chinuch is about reflecting back the uniqueness and special. That's called seen. And the last one is soothed. Soothed, when they come home, they mess up. They made a mistake. You know, someone left out the roller skates, right? And someone slipped up and they cut and they you know, hurt themselves. And there's the Spanish Inquisition in the house about who left out the roller blade? Like, who, who did this? You know, so a small child paints on the wall and there's a whole thing about who left out the crayon. First, a child gets hurt. A, a child is hurting. They got bullied at school. They lost a friend, you know, who doesn't want to talk to them anymore. They forgot to take their lunch to school, and they come home hungry. The first thing you do is soothe your child. Let them know, I care for you. Shefler, that's hard. I got it. You got a whole musidrasha, you got like three books of volumes, you want to like now tell them about how they caused it on themselves. You know what? Wait wait a couple of days. Wait a couple of days. The first thing you do is soothe them and show them I care for you and your hurt and your pain. When we do safe, secure, seen and soothed, when we do that as parents, to our children, they grow up resilient. That doesn't mean they're not going to have knocks and bangs and problems and issues in life. They sure are. But guess what they're going to do? They're going to bounce back. We gave them those building blocks. And yes, I agree. I think the schools should support that model in whatever ways they could. But I have a different model for schools. Okay. Different model of building resilience for kids in schools. What I, and I learned this, and I don't even remember where anymore, but I read this many, many years ago. It wasn't my chiddush. But the three C's. The three C's. The three C's. We've got the four S's, right, for home. And we've got the three C's for schools. And if school, I've taught this in many, many schools, and, I, and people tell me years later, they remember the three C's. The three C's are this. Capable, contribute, and connect. It means like this. The first thing is, we, schools, have to make sure that what we're asking children to do academically is something they're actually capable of doing. To ask children to do something that's beyond their capability, and I don't mean a little bit, because we're all pushing, you know, we should be in life a little bit, but are they capable of that little bit of pushing? I used to have some of my kids had, you know, some learning struggles and issues. So I would ask the teachers by the parent conference, how much time does it take the average kid in your class to do that homework what do you what's your anticipation they say 10 minutes you shouldn't take more than 10 minutes i say terrific when i sign that meant my child spent 10 minutes Regardless, are we okay it with it it doesn't make a difference will you please mark it accordingly if i signed and there's only four out of 10 that means it took them 10 minutes to get that four and they deserve credit as if they did 10 Because they have to feel capable. You're going to sit there and torment these poor kids with homework for hours and hours. They're simply going to hate learning. Mm -hmm. That's you know how learning trauma happens. It's one of the many ways learning trauma happens. So they have to feel capable. We have to align the expectations of academic expectations that we give to kids with their capabilities. As I've said many, many times, the pride and joy... it's not unfortunate, it's natural, it's human. The pride and joy of most Machanchim, let's be real, is when the bright kid in the class asks a bright question, it's exciting, right? You've got someone with you and challenging, and it's exciting. And, that, and the, the Rebbe's light, la, face lights up, or the teacher lights up when that happens. They don't light up in the same way, unfortunately, for the other kids who don't ask questions or don't even know how to... And if you ask them, they're not really holding where you're holding. We have to shift the doggish in Chinuch to the average in the class, where the average kid, and then the shoulders will basically capture more or less everyone in the class. We can't have it where the expectations are beyond the natural capability of most of the kids in the class. We cannot do that. So that's capable. And this Together builds resilience. I would just yeah. want to add about the capable thing.
0: In, the, in a school context, there's, there's what Vygotsky refers to as the ZPD, the Zone of Proximal Development. Oh. So every child has that zone where they learn. But he talks about the fact that if you're outside of the zone, either it's too easy or too hard, your reaction is, I need to get out of here. Absolutely. I don't belong here. Yeah. The challenge, which we're not going to really have time to address Correct. tonight, is you have a class with 15, 20, 25 children with various zones of proximal development. So even if you're going to go for the middle half, Sure. Uh, you're gonna.
1: I got lots of thoughts on yeah. this. So you can give invite, us a brief, invite brief answer. Invite me to Pittsburgh. Invite me to Pittsburgh.
0: You're definitely going to come to Pittsburgh, this is just the beginning. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Basically, when you focus on what did you call it again? The, the zone, optimals, of, prox- the zone, zone of, of proximal development. <laughs> I love academics. <laughs> <laughs> it's unbelievable. When we focus on the middle, on this thing, and we get the shoulders of most. Right. Those I, I've often felt this. We've got these huge resource rooms in schools, trying to get kids to do things they that's unnatural for them, which just, just hurts them more and more. If we shift the zone of optimal, proximal development. proximal development, whatever it is, we shift it to the Americas, we shrink the resource room because we discovered that a lot of them were never learning disabled. They're disabled from learning. Hmm. You understand? Yeah. And we shrink, which, by the way, saves schools a lot of money. And then at the other end... We take those kids and give them an advanced track where they can go out by choice, if they wish, and have some sort of advanced track learning. Or we can help them prepare all the questions when they get bored for the Rebbe, for the sheets, the Pasha sheets and everything else. They can work on that. there's, There's ways, there's many, many ways, but we have to move to the middle to give the average child the feeling that they're capable of producing, otherwise we lost them. Number two. Can hey, I do the other two yeah, things? please. Okay, that's capable.
0: Quick, because I want to get to one more question. Okay. Con-
1: okay. So contribute. Every child has to feel they contribute something to the school, to the class, to the environment. I was not a good academic kid. People don't believe me. I never got hundreds. Never got A's. I was a terrible student. My brain didn't turn on until much, much later. I got a hundred once in woodwork. <laughs> woodwork. I never got an academic hundred. Never. But I'll tell you this: someone in my school recognized that. And those days we used. Quill pens, ink. We used to use ink and blotters. You know, I sound like, I don't know where I'm from, but that's what we did. I was the ink monitor. I was the guy. They could put up hand, you could get out your chair and walk around and pour the ink into the ink wells for people, and it made me feel khashiv. I contributed something, and that kind of thing helped me through school. We have to find a way that every single child feels on some way, somehow, They contribute to the setting. And the most important one of the three C's is connect. The Rebbe has to connect. The teacher has to connect with every kid. Has to feel that that connection. Talk to them. Connect with them. Speak. There has to be some sort of connection where the kid feels, you know, I admire you. I want to be you. And my mother, Leah Sholem, was a master teacher. We lived in London when I grew up. My elder brother, Lachal, worked in the education department. He told us once that my mother was ranked number two teacher where we lived in London. Number two, pretty amazing. She taught 40 years. So I asked her one time, Mommy, what do you think you did that made you such a great teacher? She said, well, when I went into the classroom every day, I tried to conduct myself in a way that every child would want to be me. That connection... With the children, because once they want to be you, they want your knowledge. She Mm -hmm. said it was that simple. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. That's the three C's of resilience for the schools. The four S's of resilience at home. Together, we can really help the kids.
0: You answered the question completely. Okay. For the last four minutes of this session, this session, we still have another one. Okay. You talk a lot about the various stages. Zero to two is a time of unconditional love. Yes. Yes. If we missed the zero to two age bracket of unconditional love, is it too late to move into limit setting? And why that's relevant to school? Of course, it's relevant for parents in the home. Um, Do we first have to let them have this stage, however old they are, and only then move on to limits? Um, Or is it over and done with? So the question is, a child comes into school, and they didn't go through that stage. Is there a way that the school can provide that? Is that something only the family can can provide? Yeah, well,
1: it's a beautiful question. Yeah. The answer is both. When when I work with family systems or situations like that, I'll highlight this both to the school and the family. We need repair work. The system you're referring to, and I think it's maybe better for the people if watching. You can give if us I, a, yeah, right. if I just in two minutes, just right. what what I look at is like this. There's a mitzvah in the tail. The shevisa means to fill. The the Rebbe Shalom wanted us to fill the world with people. What kind of people? So I didn't find anyone who comments on it anywhere. And I thought about it a lot for years. Discussed it with many Talmidei Chachamim, G'dayim, to see. And I came up with this. And people told me this sounds right. The Eibushda wanted we should fill the world with people who are healthy in body and soul. They're happy. They're capable of self-love and capable of loving others. That's how I view this mitzvah, that's our goal. So the question is, how do we do that? So here's the formula that seems to make sense to me. Zero to two is unconditional love. I don't care what your kid does. I don't care how much they torment you, how much they keep you up at night, they disturb your sleep, They, they you're, you're sitting on, you know, going to a Hasna with your baby on your lap and then you discover that they leak through their diaper, you know, whatever what, we all know take this. Take the video. Right, <laughs> take the video, take the camera, take the pictures, they they write on your walls, your freshly painted walls, right. take out the camera, you'll show it your shovel trust me, it's gewaldig for later on. Zero to do is unconditional love. It doesn't matter what they do. On the contrary, I want to understand the lumbus here. The more they challenge you and make your life miserable, and the more you respond with love and kindness, body language, facial expression, tone of voice of love and kindness, you condition their nervous system, their brain, the child, their neshama, to believe I'm a wonderful human being. If they didn't fight you and weren't so difficult during the zero to two, it wouldn't work as well. It works so much better because it's so difficult and because we respond with unconditional love, we are actually actively programming the neural pathways inside our children and inside their neshama that they should feel loved. From two, then... It makes sense when we start doing limit setting. We have to. We have to set limits on them walking in the street, God forbid, near a car. We set limits on them walking, you know, and touching a stove and a hot plate and and a myriad of other things as they're exploring life, which they're meant to we are setting limits to make them feel safe. But when you've done the zero to two, when you program their neural pathways with unconditional love, their internal experience is that your limit setting is an extension of that love. And therefore, you're doing it to help them. And even if they cry now, which they will, and they resist now, which regular Chinuch, it works, kids cry, they get upset, they get broigus, you tell them it's bedtime, you're right, but you did the zero to two, and you continue, I'm not saying you stop at two, you have to continue, but you do the zero to two, only unconditional love, you then continue that while you do limit setting, so even when the kids go to bed broigus because they're frustrated, you know, they didn't want bedtime, but tomorrow they don't hate you. Because they internalized it that that was a loving act. It doesn't even dawn on them you would do anything bad to hurt them. Yeah. And when that works, then they come to you for guidance. Somewhere around 14, 15, they start turning you for guidance because they trust you. And when they get problems and issues and struggles and worries about the future, guess who they turn to? You. Because that's how the systems, that's the That's what we're meant to do to bring up kids. On that person, we install mitzvahs. So when we come to the next session, we're going to take a break.
0: Ah, the next session is, going. what happens
1: yes. when do we, we, do? we miss the zero to No two. problem. So
0: we'll stop here. I'm ready to go. And we'll uh, turn it back to Dober Okay. Rabbi Russell, this is our final session. Hi. Hey. <laughs> and we're in the middle of a question. Yes. We understand the three stages, but unfortunately, not all of us are successful uh, giving that unconditional love between the ages of zero and two. Sometimes we lose it as parents, and we get upset when the kid, you know, does something that. Uh, sure. Can it be repaired? Sure. And.
1: So. Sure. It's not a matter of can it be repaired. It has to be repaired. Okay. There is no alternative or the person goes through life permanently feeling scared, f- permanently feeling frightened and disconnected from people. It affects what we call attachments, their ability to relate to other people in a safe and healthy way. So it has to be repaired and it will sooner or later and must be addressed. And how we can do it before they come to therapy without needing to come to therapy. Look, here's the issue Baruch, there's a paradigm shift that simply has to happen in many schools I see it happening Baruch Hashem but it has to happen everywhere and the paradigm shift is this we have to come to terms with the reality that enforcing rules, structure and discipline on kids with an angry face doesn't work can we just accept that that the old school of how to get kids to, to you know too, and behave with an angry face and a disciplined look and you know and a threatening look. That ship has sailed. Needs to go. Can we ac- it's gone? Can we accept it? There is a very small group of children for whom that works, and I'm suspect that it doesn't work other than temporarily anyway. But don't worry, no need to panic. Baruch Hu gifted us with Svata Guf, they call it body language, right? Facial expression body language, tone of voice. The way, when we start doing limit setting on children, they will resist. That's why we're setting limits. Because they want to go further and we're holding them back. It's not complicated. So we know we're directly going against their will. Here's the difference. In the old school, the way of Chinuch was not in my house you don't, or in the school, it was not in my school. In our school, we don't do that. And there are even principals to this day who will get up and give drushes to the school, which the, I, I must tell you, the kids find ludicrous. <laughs> they find it laughable. And anyone who thinks that that really, they, they mimic the principal later on with that kind of stuff. Not in our school. In our school, we don't do that. This is the rules of our school. And they give a whole drush on this fire and brimstone fire and brimstone. It doesn't work anymore. What actually works is that we give the message to the child. What we're telling you is for your benefit. Yes, I am going to stand up to your willful need to go further than I feel is safe for you. And whatever issue it is whether it's going further towards the street with the little child or towards the stove, or whether it's going further going to bed too late or doing something inappropriate or drinking too much l'chaim, whatever your limit setting, the message you have to convey to the child is, this is for you, it's not for me. We have to shift out of the old paradigm of not in my home, because not in my home doesn't really work anymore. What the kid's thinking in his brain. You see, we're living in a world today. We had a segment, I think, at the beginning of this program about technology. Today, kids are aware of the world. They're aware of the outside world. We cannot shelter completely anymore. I'm not saying we shouldn't shelter. We should shelter. But sheltering alone is not working. And the cracks and fissures in that sheltering allow kids to peek out into the outside world and they see it. So when you say, God forbid, to your kid today, not in my home, what the kid's brain says, fine, I'll find another home. You're actually pushing them out. It's the exact not wrong message today. Not in my school, fine, I'll go off the derrick, I'll find another school. It just doesn't work anymore. And when it appears to be working, I know there's probably people hopping mad with me for saying this because they're a well, oh, we say it and it works in our school. No, it doesn't. It works. You create a fantasy of compliance. As long as you're standing there, you know, angrily looking at them, they comply. As soon as they walked around the corner, they do not comply. So what did you do? You made a mockery of yourself and you did nothing useful towards Chinuch. What we have to shift the paradigm is that we tell kids, this is for you. I'm limiting you for your benefit. I can't let you go there and I can't let you go here. And here's the kunst to it all. Don't explain it to them. Live it. Act it with them. Your face, your body language, your tone of voice has to express, and this is for you, your benefit. I'm so sorry, I can't let you do this. And when they say, why not? You say, I'll tell you tomorrow. I'll tell you tomorrow. Don't tell them today. You know why? Because you shift your entire parenting, whether at home or at school, you shift it to, you only have to do what I tell you to do if I can come up with a good enough reason to convince you why you have to do it. And that's a lousy form of parenting, and a lousy form of chinuch. So what we do is we distinguish between what, how am I saying the message to the child? I will set rules, structure, and discipline. I will have limits. Absolutely. Zero to two, you missed the unconditional love. So now act loving, doubly act loving. Act more loving than you ever thought you would ever have to act in your life. Tell the child, I'm so sorry, Sheffler, I cannot let you do this. And when the kids say, but why? You say, I'll tell you tomorrow, sweetie. Yeah, but why? I want to know why. They don't want to know why. They want to fight you. They want to debate you.
0: If, you may have answered this question partially already. Okay, But I really want to dig a little deeper because I think this next question summarizes a lot of the questions that the parents have asked and ask regularly. And it's a very valid <clears> question. <throat> you talk always about the roles, the structure, and the discipline. But how do, how do we reconcile that in the context of a school, particularly a school that strives to create a wellness culture, trauma-sensitive? So when, we, when a school takes a position um, that we can't allow this child to do such and such, or Absolutely. because doesn't that contribute to trauma? And, and how do we reconcile the two? No, no. Where's the place... Of where it's appropriate to have
1: rules, and you talked about- No, no, the, it's always yeah. appropriate. Okay, so it's- talk, elab- elab- Elaborate it. on that. Thank bit, you. Please. It's oh, I'm sorry, sorry. I think to it, would jump an- in. it would answer a lot of the questions. Of course, that came in. it's always appropriate. A school has to have, as a home, has to have some set of rules, structure, or discipline, or kids grow up with anarchy. That's horrendous. From a wild donkey, a man is given birth. We have to give birth to them, help them grow up to control themselves. So how do we do it? It's the way you deliver the message. I had this system years ago I came up with, and I taught it in many, many schools. I even one school they did it, they wrote it in Yiddish. It was so beautiful. They made cards of this. I suggested they have three cards, Rebbe has in his pocket, a yellow, orange, and a red card. On the yellow card, he writes, I, your Rebbe, understand you're having a hard day. On the orange card, he writes, I, your Rebbe, understand you're having a really hard day. And on the red card, he says, I, your Rebbe, understand you're having such a hard day. Please go to the Manal, get a soda and a Danish, and discuss with him why you're having such a hard day. Mm. And instead of yelling and fighting and for compliance and discipline in the classroom. You see a kid who's beginning to, you know, be undisciplined, unruly, act out. You gently walk past while you're teaching, drop a yellow. I mean, you teach this system to the kids. This is how we're going to function our classroom. You drop a yellow card on. What's the message you've just given to the kid? I care about you. I care about you. It's not about my classroom. This is about you. I w- I want you to be happy. If he doesn't really pull it together... So then we drop an orange card and they tell me, I've asked the schools when they did it, most kids settle down with the orange card because they really don't want to go to the principal. But imagine the difference when we send, we have to send this kid to the principal Right, because they can't keep him in the class. He's too disruptive. What is the paradigm, the traditional paradigm? Chuck him out. He got thrown out. He's ordered and screamed out and thrown out. He's in no shape to process, no shape of feeling cared for. And he probably doesn't even understand himself why he was in such a weird, wacky mood that day and got into trouble. He has no clue. He just did. He's in a bad place. Imagine the difference we give him a red card. I, your Rebbe, understand you're having such a hard day. Go to the Manal. He'll give you a Danish and a soda and discuss with him your bad day. He comes in with his head down to the Manal. The whole paradigm shifts. First you get a Danish and a soda. Now let's talk Schaeffler What we're really concerned about is you. We care about you. Avada, you couldn't stay in the class, and That's why you got a red card. He knows that. He knows, he understands that. But let's take him out of the classroom. He's not a terrorist. This kid isn't a bad human being. He didn't ask to be rebellious this morning. No kid ever went to the store to get the you know, rebellious conflicts and eat them every breakfast so he can go to school and make his teacher or Rebbe mad. He has no clue, generally speaking, why is he off? Why is he fidgety? Why is he impulsive? Why is he angry? Why is he inattentive? He has no clue. And we're punishing him when he has no clue? In the new paradigm, see in the old paradigm of Chinuch, up until probably about 50 years ago, we gave him such an angry look that he buried his feelings. He disciplined himself with that angry look. I submit to you, that ship has sailed. Mm-hmm. That world is gone for the vast majority of children. And instead, we have to replace it with a, a world of Chinuch where we articulate clearly to the child, our interest is you. We want to help you. So
0: you're, you're saying basically this things, things have changed, and we basically have to accept it and work with what we have in front of us. Basher <laughs> Usham.
1: Can and I give not, you one, please. one more example, if yes. I can, quickly? Yes. A Rebbe came to me. This is one I've used many times over, but it's it, it contains the essence of the sugya. A Rebbe is teaching fourth grade, and a kid's learning Chumash, and he says, "Take, put your Chumash away. take out your Mishnahis. And one kid sits there, not interested. Chumash on the desk, not interested, ignores the Rebbe. Old Chinuch, Yankee, take out Yankee. And now everyone's looking, and he's embarrassed, and he gets even more deliberate Put away your Chumash. Eventually, Stroke puts away, it falls on the floor, kids laugh, he's ejected from the class, mm-hmm. a disaster. Old school chinuch. Mm-hmm. What's new school chinuch? I tell the Rebbe, Qu- quietly just, Yankee, we're Maybe he just got, was daydreaming. Give him the benefit of the doubt, first of all. Mm-hmm. And if you see after you remind him, he's doing nothing, you walk over to him, the Rebbe, quietly whisper in his ear, Yankee, do not take out your mishnayos. It's fine. It's okay. Whatever's going on, I don't know what it is, but don't worry about it. You'll learn Mishnayis later. It's fine. Mm -hmm. And you go back and teach. Nine times out of ten, I beg the Rebbe, tell me if I'm right. Nine times out of ten, what do you think happens 30 to 60 seconds later? He takes out his Mishnayis. Comes recess, you call Yanki over and you say, Yanki, that was amazing. Wow, that was amazing. (laughs) Wow, khala to you, Yanki. You conquered it. Now they say, what happens if he doesn't take it out even better you call him over and you say yankee that was my ridiculous. such gvura you had not to take out your mishnayas and you see he does it the next day and the next day you call him over and say yankee forget about the mishnayas what's going on with you what's happening with you you call him by recess and the kid starts crying that's chinuch. That's chinuch. Fighting with him in the class scares everyone, number one. It doesn't do anything good. The other kids are resentful. They're terrified that you've created a milieu, an environment of fear. That's not an optimal place to learn. When we create safety with children, guess what? When we create safety, you've created a person who's more receptive to the knowledge, to the information because their minds feel safe. When you take safety from people, you turn off part of their brain. The 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 prefrontal cortex is, is toned down, and that's the place you need to be in if you're going to be able to learn. So creating fear in your classroom actually inhibits learning. Again, in the world gone by, the Svepech world, that worked. We got patched. We got caned. We got slippered. It happened. That world is over. We have to come to terms with it. But there are systems where we can connect with kids and still have the same rules, structure, and discipline. All we're doing is apologizing to the kids. It's like you give a detention. Saying, I'm so sorry you got the detention. But you have a detention. Why do I have a detention? Because?
0: Maybe a related question. Um... One of the things I think I know in Pittsburgh we've struggled with, and I'm sure others have struggled as well, particularly since COVID started, academic expectations, it's a school, but children are suffering and have gone through a lot of trauma. Um, And this relates to schedule. Can we keep these long schedules? Children really struggle with that. And their their parents are reporting. We are all parents. Mental health professionals are reporting that they just can't handle as much as before. But there are academic expectations. Granted, we're doing it as you described, appropriately, with love. Clearly, if we're not doing it with love, then that's not the point. Then that's not successful. But how do we balance that, in your opinion, in a post-COVID world? Academic expectations, children traumatized sure, from what sure. they've gone through keeping the schedules and some of the rules and the expectations because they're more traumatized and they've gone through so much. Is there, in your opinion, has something shifted even further? Yes, very Just much so. Case, very much so. I think
1: that. the research will come out and prove it. I know in Eretz they had incredible research that was, uh, mm-hmm. uh, it was, it was frightening to see the number of people who found themselves happier not having to go to yeshiva. Mm not having to go to school. They were just happier. They'd never been so happy. And kids wanted to drop out afterwards and not go back. No, this is a reality. Yeah, it's really sad. So number one, from a research perspective, I think we need to be very, very cognizant that the kids were holding them, holding them, holding themselves together and they're actually maybe not capable of the strict regimen we give them. That's a technical issue that schools have to be sensitive to. Do the research Take a look at it. Don't deny it. We are not going back to the exact what was. Mm-hmm. That's not happening anymore. We've got to be more sensitive to the kids. But, revisit things. Re, we've got to. But I want to say this. Okay. Mysterious Hattaira, in my humble opinion, does not come through academia. Mysterious comes through relationship, through connection. The desire and want and will of a child to want to continue Al-Masaira is going to come through their relationship with their parents and their relationship with their teachers and Rebbeim. I'll tell you an amazing, amazing fact. I met many, many people in their 30s, 40s sometimes, who were somewhat turned off going through the system. They weren't academic. They weren't well inclined. They felt like a loser, a failure, like they were tolerated Mm -hmm. by the system at best. They're still from, but they're hurting inside. And I ask them, I work with them for a variety of reasons. They come to therapy. Somewhere in the course of the therapy, I ask them a question. The question I ask them is, tell me something. In the whole course of your career, you're telling me all these things about your school career were terrible. Was there ever a Rebbe or teacher who really meant the world to you? Everyone says yes. There was one. There was one special person. It was amazing to me. He was so good. That In fact, they say, that Rebbe is the reason I'm from today. Because of him I say really said yes I mean he's responsible you're from said yes I think so if not for him I, I I don't think I would have stayed from. So I say do you mind I'm doing some research if I ask you a question and there's no you can't get this question wrong there's not a writer and so said don't worry about it just I just want your answer for the sake of research They say okay I say you're telling me this Reb is responsible for why you're from today they say yeah sure I said well do me a favor. Can you tell me one thing he taught you? Mm -hmm. And there's a silence, and they never can. They never can. And yet that Rebbe was responsible for that young man being from to this day. And I think there are tens of thousands of people out there who are from because of that, not because of academia of how much they learnt. We should never... As much as Khashiv is teaching, and Yisaita Satera and yadiya satira is Khashiv to us. We're trying to teach it to our kids. Never compromise, ever. The relationship in the quest of installing Yediyah in a child's mind, never compromise your relationship. Because the relationship is more valuable to his Kiyom as a Yid than any information you ever put into him. Every Rebbe and teacher has to know that Yisaita.
0: Beautiful. You remind me of a story Rabbi Dr. Free told me once. He gave a shear to a group of people in their 50s, I think, who had gone through the system but never really learned how to learn. So they learned a blot gemara, and one of the uh, fellows tells him, T'chachumim <laughs> z'ine Exactly, exactly.
1: Wow. Exactly, and if, they, if you can connect with them, that's much more important to them. Never compromise it,
0: ever. Let's move to a, another topic, but related topic. You talk a lot about learning trauma. Yes. Which is one of your chidushim. Yes. Talk, talk to, s- describe and define learning trauma and what can schools do to support the learning trauma in addition to the, some of the ideas to you've su- already
1: mentioned. Right, to support not having lo- learning To support trauma. not having <laughs> yeah uh, learning learning so, trauma so learning tra- trauma you have to understand and I, I just want to add another yeah. piece to the sure.
0: question in one i know i know your opinion about homework uh if it'd be up to you you would remove homework For so, sure. so as an extension of this question if we don't give homework at all won't that increase learning trauma specifically when it comes let's say to reviewing crea at home won't that add to the learning trauma so two parts to the question
1: okay so, so, look, the word "trauma" is thrown around everywhere, yeah. but the essence of the word trauma the essence of what the meaning is is to disconnect trauma is the is the effect on a human being of a life threatening horrifying, horrible situation that they were in, or near life-threatening experience, from which HaKadosh Baruch Hu made us, our nervous system, react in a way that we wish to always disconnect from anything associated to that event. The event was so horrific, was so frightening, I simply want to disconnect from it. That's what trauma does. It disconnects us. It makes sure we do fight or flight. We get away from it, we protect ourselves from it, but we don't go anywhere near it, because it's scary. That's what it is. If a child goes to school and goes to school every single day, and every day he discovers that he is an academic failure, he can't really do the work. He's expect, for example, a seventh grader, right, is frequently told somewhere around Chanukah time by a well-meaning rabbi, seventh grade boy, that you better turn your engines on now, boys, because you're going to get for soon. Right and next right for for Masifta. and if you don't turn your engines on now, by eighth grade it's too late. What is actually happening in the boys' minds? All the kids who've had a hard time learning go click and turn off. They realize I'm done. I'm finished. That's kids, children's relationship to the academic studies has to be one that is positive and makes me feel I want to learn. If my experience on a daily basis, daily basis, is I get an affirmation of my own stupidity, an affirmation of my own inability to learn, and my, an affirmation of my own inability to pay attention and to focus, if that's happening every day, then the object that's causing micro-traumas every day of my life is learning. So what happens is the last thing I want to do is go near learning. It happens to kids with, with davening too, the same thing, where kids are knasped into davening who can't read, don't understand it, don't really understand what's going on, and are knasped and forced to keep a finger on the place and look inside, where we turn that whole experience into a negative, traumatic experience, of feeling like I hate this whole thing, I don't want to go near it. They actually lose a relationship to davening completely by being forced to do it. So what happens is, micro, mini micro traumas, none of which on their own were life-threatening, cumulatively add up to where the kid has to go. And it's like walking into Kehinnom every single day. Who would want to go there? Worse still, we as parents force our kids to go to school into an environment for the ones who have difficulties learning where they're going to experience trauma. Now imagine, you ask the second question, imagine such a kid comes home, Nishnoi, he's been a miserable Gehinnom all day, but now let's continue. Instead of coming home to the safety of a home where I can get away from it, where I can be free from it, where I can breathe and just be in a nice Jewish milieu, an environment of love and chesed where I can feel safe, now his parents are forced to traumatize him too. Am I making sense? Yes. It sickens me, forgive me. It sickens me, and I feel so sad for these kids. I see these kids every day. I work with adults who were those kids, and they're so broken and hurt inside. They don't want to go near it. They don't want to touch it. It's so but frightening. homework
0: would be okay for a certain percentage of the children. For the, look, absolutely. So you'd have absolutely. to figure out how to... You have to, to uh... figure
1: out... Listen, you know, it's a sensitive issue. Uh-huh. I, I've heard from various gadolim they were against homework too. You know, I, I'll tell you this. Do I have two minutes to tell you yes, something? Please. There was a Sefer came out in Eretz on learning disabilities in Hebrew. I saw it recently. The Rav, the senior Rav of Sefer, of Kessler, wrote a Hakdama to this Sefer. Mm-hmm. I read it. Mm-hmm. In this, he says the following. What, he quotes the Shavit Alevi, mm-hmm. right? And he quotes him. As saying, what is the problems with Chinuch today? He, it just agav. He says, amazing thing. Quotes from the Shaveh Da The Shaveh the is Zog. He heard it from him directly. Mm-hmm. He said, Zog the Shaveh Da He said, near in in Europe, kids. Oh, oh no, he said like this. He said. Where, how do we define the capacity and ability of a kid to learn based on a calendar cutoff date? Some magical date defines that you fit in this class and not that class, and therefore you can learn this way, not that way. By some magical... He said in Europe, he said the free... Of the, it wasn't like that. The Melamed in the start learned, and whoever came, three- and four-year-olds, he says, he writes in the safer, were frequently found learning with six- and seven-year-olds. You learned according to your ability, so that you didn't have this experience if you weren't capable of doing it, of being traumatized by the learning. Then he said something amazing. He said, and what happened when the kids couldn't stay with the program? You know, they they were antsy, they needed to play. The malamid said, go outside the Chatzah. And in the Chatzah there were goats and sheep and cattle, and they played with the animals and the chickens. And when they needed they went and played to help their mother with the laundry. And when they were ready, they came back to class. And they just started learning again we have an environment i'm not suggesting we bring cattle into the schools that's not what i'm saying at all. nor am i saying we just let the kids go and have anarchy but what we have to do is tune in with compassion and sensitivity and kindness that the kids aren't if when they're not able to do it let's let go of the angry face the frustrated looks the up, uh, upset and hurt expectations and instead tune in to how hard it is for them guess what happens when we do that they work with us better. Learning trauma happens when we create an expectation on a child of learning that they're simply not able to do. And we do this day after day, year after year, and we expect them to come out happy. And it becomes simply painful. It's painful. you kidding? I bet you. And if someone gives me the money for it, I don't have the money, but I'm waiting one day. When I get the money, we will find kids and we'll do a study. Well, I don't know how much we need. I want to do MRIs on all these kids... And contrast it with rape victims, and contrast it with people who were, you know, saw near-death experiences, and I bet you the MRIs of learning disabled kids who went through the system will look traumatized, just like these other people. I mean, I've personally seen've
0: called clinically I 've seen children who put in an effort when they were seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade. You saw them trying, and then all of a sudden, as it yeah. got more difficult, it's painful for them. Yeah. engage in learning. That's exactly Parents it. say, he doesn't want to learn with me anymore. That's in right. In seventh grade, I could spend 10 minutes doing his homework with him. Sure. One piece of Gemara, a few Pesukim and Arashi. Now he, it's he's a, three years older and he doesn't want to do it. In I primary, think that is
1: learning trouble. Pr- it is. Of course it is. In primary, everyone's happy. They come home, Hashem is here, Hashem is here. <laughs> Right? They love a- Hashem. <laughs> they love the pro- The nurse, taber, they love everything. Right? They- what happened to that joy? We took it from them. By, you know, the more academia comes in with the false expectations that's not aligned and attuned to where the kids are, the more we take that Simcha Sachayim away from the kids. That's the way they should be for life. We take it from them. One final question. Yes, sir. Because we're running out of time. Sorry, Thank you. Not Go soon. ahead.
0: We at Yeshiva are pioneering something called Limud Nefesh. There's yes. Limud Ekoidash, Limud Limud Nefesh some of the things you talked about would be incorporated in that, in that uh, curriculum. Yes. It doesn't just mean a curriculum. It refers to a culture. It refers to uh, a climate in the school, how teachers interact, etc., etc. Cetera, et cetera. What would you recommend be included in that type of a curriculum?
1: number one thing? Yes. The number one thing that I hope is included, and if it's not, it should be. I've suggested that there ought to be a Lamud B class once a week. That means like this. Sil Shisham clearly says that Mitsya Sa Adam Bailamazahu Sloshadvarim, Las l'avod Lamud Guess what? That's a chilika life. We do the other two, mitzvahs and we do Aveda. What do we do with Lamud Bn Zero. Adarabah. We create a picture an image through Shavabrachas and Mitzvahs and Sibrhas that our life is perfect, and there's never Nisyanis. Yeah. It's mad. Lama ben is real. It's through being Oymar bin going through life, dealing with bullies, dealing with bedtime, dealing with our struggles with homework, dealing with our academic struggles, dealing with a sibling who's struggling off the door, dealing with life, chaisa par you name it. Age-appropriate conversations with the kids, opening them up once a week to face the age-appropriate... And by the way, if we would do this system... By the time we come to the Internet, you had the Internet at the beginning of this program, we would have a framework that we've created for the kids in which we're now talking about an age-appropriate science. It's not like this scary thing, it's just another aspect of life called the Internet, and we can talk about their physical development, you know, and those kind of things. The thing that we need for wellness for children is to be honest with them about their struggles, be interested in actually tuning into their struggles and understanding what their nisionists are. They are not the ones we had. It's a totally different world today. That's the primary thing that will create wellness, is opening up their hearts, that we show an interest in what is actually causing chaos inside them and hurting them so badly a Lamed Benisoyan class from probably around third, fourth grade and up, once a week, get trained in, create a syllabus, and talk about it. What are the Nisiones of life? And get the kids discussing it. Don't turn it academic. Please don't turn it academic. (laughs) No homework. Conversation, no homework, (laughs) and not academic. No tests. No (laughs) tests. Conversation with the kids, and let them just talk it out. A free talk it out. Rabbi Russell, I can't
0: sufficiently express my appreciation that you slept to <laughs> New York, the Flow Motion studio here in New York, to share the inspiration, to share the mission of your life. Thank you. To represent the Talmidim and Talmidis who have unfortunately are struggling out there. Hashem, number one, should bench you. Arichas yomem, continue Thank to spread the word. Amen. And this is just the beginning of this connection. <laughs> Thank you. We'll bring you back. Thank and we'll you. We'll bring you to Pittsburgh. And we'll continue to involve you with our team, Emirat Hashem. uh, I want to
1: thank you for this opportunity. My wife and I felt, when you described to us what it is you're trying to do with your school, the wellness program, trying to reach into deeply, into the emotional needs of children, a school has a. Resp- In this generation, a school has that responsibility, and, I, and the kindness and sensitivity with how you expressed it does. When you talked to us, my my wife and I said. <laughs>